Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. How are you feeling? Nervous. Very nervous. Excited, nervous, all the above. Josh gets out of prison on a spring morning in New Hampshire. The trees are just starting to turn green, but the sky is gray and it's raining. Josh isn't dressed for the weather. He's wearing prison-issued sweatshorts and a t-shirt. Still, he seems immune to the dampness and the chill. You gotta bounce in your step. Oh yeah. <laughs> When's the bus show up? Usually. What was that? When's the bus show up? Uh, about 740-ish. Awesome. The bus is early, but Josh hustles across the parking lot like he's worried it's going to leave without him. These are Josh's first moments as a free man in two years. His face, his walk, you can see this battle between exhilaration and apprehension. Like he's so light he could float straight into the air, except Something is pulling him back down. And he keeps repeating this refrain about how he's feeling. Very excited. Very nervous. Very excited. Very nervous. I've never followed someone around on their first day out of prison. I have an idea how that day might play out. Hitching rides, emotional reunions, maybe a really good meal. Josh's first day will be most of those things. And it'll be a lot more. Everything will go as planned, until it doesn't. From New Hampshire Public Radio, this is Supervision. I'm Emily Corwin. Episode 2, First Day Out. And just a warning, this episode has some disturbing events that are hard to listen to. There you go. One ospy as well. Thank you. Josh chooses a seat near the front and drops a clear plastic garbage bag between his feet. In it, I can see some magazines, a tube of toothpaste, and a few bottles of pills. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't sleep very good last night. I've been up since about 3.30. <laughs> yeah. I went to the bed about almost 1.00. What's going through your head all that time? Ah, the reality of it. Everything's sinking in, them actually getting out. Actually, Josh tells me, it's not just last night. He's hardly slept for days. I wonder how my mom's doing right now. Probably the same as me, nervous, excited. Oh, there's Mount Shakura right there. Josh sees his favorite hike, Mount Chikorua. He strains to see out all the windows. He points out tree stumps, a Walmart. Everything is fascinating. Oh yeah, I forgot about people in crosswalks. As we drive farther from the prison, 
I notice Josh's hands. He keeps furling his bus ticket into this tight little roll and then unrolling it again. A little bit of nervous energy there. Yeah, um, I fiddle around a lot. His mood is shifting. He's becoming less happy, more somber. I'm wicked anxious and nervous. I just want to jump out of my skin right now. There are so many things that must be on Josh's mind right now. He hasn't seen his friends and his family for over two years. He needs to find a job and an apartment. He needs a driver's license and a car. And besides all of that, it's still only about 9 a.m. And Josh doesn't know who'll be there to pick him up when the bus stops. Convoy a few minutes ago, uh, our next stop will be West Ossipee. West Ossipee, here I come. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you. Ah, this is so nice. The bus drops Josh off an hour from home. We start walking toward a beat-up red pickup truck. It still has the Dodge. As we get closer to the truck, I keep expecting someone to get out and greet Josh. But nobody does. I wondered who's inside. When Josh opens up the passenger door, it's his old friend, Chris McGovern. Chris gives Josh a silent once-over. He's expressionless. They don't hug or anything like that. And Chris has this granola bar hanging out of his mouth like a cigar, which makes it a little hard to hear the first thing that he says to Josh. But here it is. What's up, dude? What is up? Pale as fuck. You're pale as fuck, Chris says. Hot pale. I mean, I've been getting sun. <laughs> What's up? Hey, Chris, I'm Emily. How are you? Nice to meet you. Um, yeah, Publix Radio. Yeah, they're doing a thing. Chris is an old neighbor of Josh's. They've been good friends for years. Chris didn't visit Josh in prison, but he did send photos from hiking trips and, occasionally, money. He tells me to hop in the back seat. On it, among other things, is a disintegrating red rose. Cool, thank you. Don't worry about the mess. Oh, don't worry about it. It's an old rose. Don't ask me how I got there. (laughs) Chris is a master electrician. His truck is full of work gear, his helmet, some tools, a box of junior mints. I buckle up for the drive. Fucking freedom. Yeah, it's nice. Finally. So where you gotta go, Dover? Yeah. We set off driving southeast toward Dover, where Josh has to check in with his parole officer before the end of the day. It's about an hour away. To get there, we pass through Rochester. That's where Josh grew up and where Chris lives. It's a blue-collar town that's just beginning to see the signs of gentrification. Opioid addiction has crept into Rochester, too, and into their group of friends. Strawberry's still alive? Surprised you didn't see him. Strawberry is one of their pals. That dope. People are dying left and right. Josh is surprised Strawberry hasn't died from an overdose yet. And Chris is surprised Josh didn't cross paths with Strawberry in prison. Wow, what did he do? He's running like a trap house there for a while. Yeah. So the city ended up kicking him out. They didn't have any water, they didn't have any sewer. I guess the toilet was... Bounded over. Oh, like disgusting. That's brutal. 
Mount Shaw right there, that's a good mountain. Josh's buddy Chris is about as understated a person as I've ever met. At one point, when there's a break in the conversation, Chris mentions, with his typical nonchalance, he's going to be a dad in August. So who are you having a kid with? Lisa. Lisa. Lisa, Lisa? No shit, huh? Some things don't change. Yeah, yeah. They talk about hiking, work, women, more hiking. Josh seems relieved, even elated, just to banter with his buddy. His anxiety appears to be quieting. And then something unexpected happens, and it's alarming. Even though I've heard what you're about to hear more times than I can count, it's still hard for me to listen to. Josh's fists punch out in front of him, and his whole body starts shaking. Chris and I catch each other's eyes through the rearview mirror, but I can't read his expression. He keeps driving. Josh sounds like he's choking. It looks like a seizure to me, but I don't know. Josh's body collapses into his seat. He's making gurgling sounds. And then he starts breathing heavily, like he's gasping for air. I keep expecting Chris to pull over, but instead he guns the engine and passes a slower car on the left. I think this must be their bro-y dude way of dealing with this kind of thing. And I fight the urge to say something. I'm a journalist, I think. I'm not supposed to intervene. I take my cue from Chris and say nothing. Eventually, Josh opens his eyes. Cigarette? Mm-hmm. Chris offers Josh a cigarette. Josh declines. Oh, no? Good for you. Good for you, Chris tells Josh. And that's it. Slowly, Josh straightens up in his seat, and they both go back to talking about climbing mountains. What presidential mountain did you climb? Jackson. Jackson. How was that? I can hear Josh is slurring his words, but he doesn't seem to notice. None of us mention the seizure, or whatever it was. We just continue to the parole office, like nothing happened. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. How you doing? Yeah, for a Okay. Uh, any metal objects on you at all? Keys, watch, wallet, anything? Okay, come on through. Josh no, meets his there. parole officer in the basement of the courthouse. 
the same courthouse where he pleaded guilty to assault against his wife and stepson three years ago. These stairs are pretty familiar. The office has one of those white noise machines for privacy, I guess. There's a plexiglass window with a slot for papers. Hi. Hi. Um, I just got out of prison, and I'm here to check in with uh, Greg. Okay, you're going to date and oh. uh, your date of birth there. Oh, sorry. The receptionist hands Josh this huge stack of documents he needs to fill out, initial, and sign. There is an incredibly long list of rules he has to abide by. He promises to comply with his parole officer. I will diligently seek and maintain lawful employment. He promises to pay attorney's fees, parole fees, restitution. He promises not to associate with anyone with a criminal record unless his parole officer says it's okay. I will submit to reasonable searches of my person, property, possessions. He promises not to even be in the presence of drugs. And, Josh tells me, the judge instructed him not to consume any alcohol, that he can be sent back to prison if he drinks. I will be of good conduct, obey all laws, and be arrest-free. Josh? Eventually, the door opens, and Josh goes inside to meet his parole officer. Twenty minutes later, he comes out. And he just looks smaller. It feels much later than 11. I'm, like, emotionally beat. Is there something about, like, meeting the parole officer that, like... Yeah, I'm just in for a long ride. (laughs) My first soda in two years. Loaded with sugar. All right, where are we off to? Um, transition, uh, transitional housing, I just got... Chris drives us to Josh's new place. It's a transitional housing facility where Josh is supposed to stay for the next few months. It doesn't look like a home. It's a big brick building that shares a parking lot with a county jail and a drug treatment center. Josh heads inside while Chris and I wait for him in the car. Chris eats from a bag of chips in the front seat. It's the first time we're alone together and have a chance to talk about whatever it was that happened to Josh that morning. Chris brings it up. I didn't know it uh, looked like he was getting electrocuted on the way home. Have you ever seen that before? No. No, I assumed you had. You were so calm. No. Um... So he doesn't have epilepsy or anything? Never seen that before in my life. Out of Josh. Oh. So I don't know if it was just like anxiety. Or just being like overcome with emotion. That looked like a seizure to me. Yeah, it kind of looked like a seizure to me too. A little bit concerning. Mm-hmm. Are you going to talk to him about it? I'm sure in time. Not right away. Hmm. 
We get quiet as soon as Josh gets in. As Chris starts the car, I make up my mind to ask Josh about his seizure the next time he and I are alone. About 15 minutes later, we pull up to Chris's apartment. Yeah, you want to go out, sit out back with Josh? I'll go upstairs and grab my dog. Sure. Josh and I are in the backyard. I look up and see a big, graying pit bull hurtling towards us. Hambone! His name is Hambone. You old son of a bitch. <laughs> old timer. Yeah, when she came out, she wasn't as spunky. This is the only time today that Josh will rejoice with abandon in his reunion with someone. Here, in this world outside prison. Glad I got out. See Hambo. Hey, he's gray around the eyes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah he is old. Hambone wanders away. Getting old. We stand around the yard. It's actually a little warmer outside now. Got your own garden here? Oh. Ain't nothing happening with it yet. <laughs> and then, in an instant, this peaceful moment is over. The seizure thing? It happens again. What do we do? (laughs) Josh falls backwards onto the grass, convulsing. I'm going to call 911. I'm afraid he'll choke on his saliva or on his tongue, so I put my recording gear down, sit cross-legged, and hold his head in my lap. The minutes pass really slowly. Josh's breathing slows and deepens. I lower him off my lap. Hey, Josh. You, you just had a seizure. <laughs> Have you ever had a seizure before? Seizure? Yeah. I think it happened in the car, too. Chris is calling an uh, ambulance. Has that ever happened before? No. No. You fell backward, and you went stiff. You... We're sort of clenching your teeth. And you're, are you taking any different, did they give you any different meds today? Uh, no. No? Yeah, he's awake. Yeah, he's breathing, he's up. Um, Josh does not remember having the seizure. He looks groggy. How do you feel right now? Um. A little shaky? Yeah, excited. Yeah. Um, nervous. An ambulance pulls up, and I help him walk to the road. You don't remember it? No. Okay, that's okay. Hi, what's that? I'm a reporter. I've been following him all day long. Okay, so we're done with that for now. Chris and I follow behind the ambulance to the hospital. We sit in the waiting room for an hour or two. Eventually, a doctor comes out. He asks me to follow him into the ER. I find Josh lying on a gurney in the hallway, 
The doctor wants me to recall for him and Josh exactly what happened. So the first time we were in his truck. Okay. And so you were sitting down and... I go through the seizures play by play, and the doctor takes notes. When he leaves, Josh talks to me for a while. Seizures, that's, that's serious. That's scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's up there really with diabetes, I don't know. It's like, well, you can die from diabetes. Well, if you hit your head, good enough. I don't know if you can die from seizures. I'm hoping that was just a, a weird fluke. No more. Yeah. I hope so too. I've spent another hour in the waiting room by the time Josh's mom gets off her shift. She hustles past me, walking straight through the ER doors. I imagine Josh, still hooked on his IV, still lying on that gurney as he and his mom see each other for the first time in two years. A few more hours later, the two of them emerge. Josh's mom hangs back to give us some room so he and I can talk before they take off. I am just like so sorry that I, I hope that you don't feel uncomfortable with the fact that I was sort of there for everything. No, I, I'm drained. Yeah. I am drained. Um, yeah, the seizures were no good. Um, what if I'm climbing up a mountain? I have it. Boom, head right off a rock, driving. It's late afternoon when we all finally say goodbye. Our voices and body language, it's like we're skating between the sweetness of reunion and the dread of what's still unknown. Josh, it was a pleasure to see you through this day. I'm sorry it wasn't better. It wasn't yeah. easier. Yeah, sorry about it's that. It's a celebration. It's okay. Have a good evening. Oh, you too. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, guys. Yeah. Bye. By the time I get in my car, the sun is setting and my head spins. I use my phone to record some thoughts while I drive. I just, I'm worried about this guy. I don't know. It's not until I'm halfway home that I realize my only phone number for Josh is the prison's number. I don't even know how I'm gonna follow up with Josh. Like I didn't even, he doesn't even have a phone number. I can't believe I didn't think of that till now. Next time, looking for Josh. You said initially it was rough and he struggled with homelessness. Like, what kind of homelessness? He was initially paroled to the transitional housing program here in Stratford County, uh, but was kicked out for some behavioral issues, which is why he lost his housing. Can you tell me anything more about that? No? Okay. Um, he can tell me. Yeah, he probably won't. Supervision was reported and hosted by Emily Corwin. It was produced by me, Jack Rodolico. Editing by Dan Barrick, Erica Janik, and Maureen McMurray. Additional production by Jackie Fulton. Digital production by Sarah Plord and Rebecca Lavoy. Supervision is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. If you are in an abusive relationship and you want help making a plan to get out of it, 
you can call the Domestic Violence Hotline. Their number is 1-800-799-SAFE. If you're unable to speak on the phone safely, you can go to their website, thehotline.org. And if you think you may be mistreating or hurting your partner, you can get help at the same place. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.